0: My name is Pastor Kaya, and I have not stood before you guys formally for a whole seven months. Y'all, a whole seven months, and I've been counting every single one of them. I have not stood before you guys in a formal way to preach the gospel in seven months. So one of the things that I decided, and I'm sticking to, is I will not make this a gumbo message, because there's so many things in my heart to share with you. There's so many things that I want to say to you. There's so many things I want to encourage you with. I've thought of you so much But I will not make this a gumbo message. It's going to be one message, y'all. We're going to stick to it, okay? Y'all, don't push me. Don't push me. Don't push me. I'm not a gangster, but don't push me. (laughs) Man, happy new year, you guys. I'm so thankful that I get to see the, uh, the year 2023. I get to see your faces. I get to be in the house of the Lord. And I just want to give honor to my man of God, to my pastor, to my leader, Pastor John Butcher Sr., I love you. I respect you. I value and I honor you, sir. And I thank you so much for allowing me to stand on your shoulders today. I'm here because you poured the word into me. You have been obedient to the word. According to Ephesians, you've washed me in the truth. You've washed me in the word. And because of that, I'm able to have the strength to stand up here today in who God's called me to be. And I thank you for that, sir. And I commend you. God bless you. Another thing you guys, I am super thankful that I didn't get to see that I didn't have to see this year without my husband. I'm thankful. I'm thankful. I'm thankful. I'm thankful that his seat on and on Christmas day wasn't empty. I'm thankful. Um, I'm thankful that 2023 wasn't going to be my year of firsts. I'm thankful, y'all. I'm thankful. I don't know about y'all. I know y'all think y'all thankful, but y'all, I'm thankful. (laughs) I'm thankful. I'm thankful, you guys. I want to tell you something. It's a pet peeve of mine when preachers get up and they're just super emotional. Like, I'm like, just preach the word. Pick up there crying and stuff. But y'all, I'm just going to apologize in advance Because this message is coming from my heart. (laughs) You guys, this is coming from a real place. And I don't know how to separate my emotions from this today. But I want to tell you guys I'm thankful. I'm thankful. My husband had a heart transplant on May 24th. He had a whole heart transplant. Like a whole heart was removed and a whole heart was put in, you guys. Like a whole heart transplant. I want to tell you guys something. Do you know that there's 15 people that die every day waiting on a heart? There's 15 people that die every day waiting on a a, a organ to be donated. And that was almost our story. I mean, it came down to minutes. Uh, Like, like I know y'all wasn't there. Y'all wasn't in the room. I know you guys wasn't there. But you guys, it came down to like the threat of like a, like, I mean, it was close. And people die every day, waiting, hoping, yearning, looking at the window, thinking the doctor's going to run in and say, hey, we've got a heart because we were doing it. We were sitting there and we were watching the door and we were like, is this the day the doctor's going to run in and say, we've got one? And I mean, it was like days went by and weeks went by and we're looking at the door and I'm looking at him and I'm looking at the door. And the Lord says, stop looking at the door. You better start looking to me. <laughs> Woo! Okay, okay, okay. Let's back up. We're going to be going to the book of Ezekiel today. If any of you guys don't know where that's at, that's in between Daniel and Laminations, which it kind of makes sense. Because, you know, Laminations is like sad, sorrowful, mourning, and then Daniel. like It's right in between there, okay? Right in between Laminations and Daniel, and we're going to Ezekiel, the first chapter of of Ezekiel in the first verse. Okay, I mentioned that about the donor. You know, 15 people die every day waiting on on an organ. I wanted you all to consider something as you're trying to find Ezekiel, because you probably don't know where it's at. I I want you guys to consider something today. I want you to consider being an organ donor. You know, I really love the fact that Pastor Jenny always gets up and she talks about adoption. Because I feel like as a Christian, the spirit of adoption should be at the core of who we are. Because we've been adopted. We've been grafted in, you guys. So why wouldn't we have the same heart to adopt? Maybe we may not adopt the same way Pastor Jenny do, but I adopt uh, spiritual sons and daughters all the time. Whether they claim me or not, I'm like, you're my spiritual daughter. I'm praying for you. I'm looking after you. I'm about to correct you, Jackie Biggins. Like, I'm just saying. The the, the heart of adoption, the spirit of adoption should be at the center of who we are. You guys, can we add another one? I think all of us should be donors. What you going to do with it when you go? What you doing with it? Somebody said, well, what if when Jesus comes back to get me and he can't find all my stuff? Bless them, y'all. Bless them. I mean, bless them, though. I mean, that's a real question. Guess what, y'all? When we go with Jesus, we getting a new body. We getting a new body. God don't need to patch up our old busted and rusted and dusted organs and joints. And not. We getting a new body, y'all. So can I urge you to consider being a donor? So at the heart of a Christian should be the spirit of adoption and to be an organ donor. God gave his heart for us. Why wouldn't we give our heart? You guys want more information? Stop by the Welcome Center on your way out. All the information is there. All you can ask all your questions. There's a website, you can answer all your questions. It gives real life stories of people who have donated, uh, people that have received. Like, I mean, it's not just our story. You guys, there's countless stories like Pastor John and I. Like, I mean, I know y'all think we special because you don't maybe know, but we're not. Like, it happens all the time. And there's stories after stories after stories of people's lives being saved, you guys. So let's turn to Ezekiel chapter one, verse one. And it says this, now it came to pass in the 30th year, in the fourth month, in the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river of Shabar, that the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. It says, and it came to pass in the 30th year. Do you guys know that in the 30th year is when a priest, according to the the law, began their priestly duties. It was between the ages of 30 and 50. And it, it explains all of that in 2 Kings. I think it's like the 24th chapter. It's in there somewhere, y'all. But in between the ages of 30 and 50 is when a, um, a, a Levite or a, a, a priest begins to start his duties. And right here we see in Ezekiel chapter 1 verse 1, we see Ezekiel got the call, y'all. He was 30 years old. Now, even though, you, if you notice, it says that, and he says, and I, as I was among the captives. You guys, he was in captivity, All of the children of Israel, the entire Jerusalem, you guys, had been captive, 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 captured by the 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 Babylonians. Y'all know what I'm trying to say. Y'all need to read y'all Bible because in case I can't get the words right, you need to know it for yourself. I'm trying to help you. Jerusalem was captured by the Babylonians, you guys, and they did it in such a strategic way that they did it in stages, y'all. I mean, this is like cold-blooded. It's like, it's like they don't, they didn't want to just win the war once. Like they planned it out. Like not only are we going to destroy them, but we're going to leave them desolate so they can never build again. Like it was cold, y'all. He was among the captives. He was in captivity, but the call was still on him. And so at the age of 30, which is the age that it usually that they begin their priestly duties, the Lord went to him. So even though they were in captivity, that didn't stop the Lord from moving in the way he wanted to move according to biblical principles. Amen. So he said, I was among the captives. And the heavens were opened up to me and I saw visions of God. Numbers four and three, it says this, from 30 years old and upward, even until 50 years old, all that enter into the host to do the work of the tabernacle of the congregation. Okay, that's a scripture that talks about that they begin their their uh, priestly duties at 30. Luke 3, 23, read this. Now, Jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age, being as was supposed the son of Joseph, the son of Heli. 30 years old. Do you guys get it? 30 years old, priest. How many know Jesus is our priest? Amen? amen. 30 years old. Stuff starts kicking off. They're in captivity, though. The prophet Ezekiel is in captivity, but yet God is still not stopping. And Ezekiel is probably thinking, God, I know you coming to me and you want me to do these things, but have you noticed I'm in captivity? I don't have a temple, I don't have a tabernacle, I don't have an altar, I don't have the things that I need to do to be able to make sacrifice. I'm in captivity by the Babylonians. But the Lord, that didn't stop anything from the Lord. Let me tell you how cold-blooded this was. The first wave of attacks that the Babylonians gave to the Jerusalem was about 605 BC. Jerusalem was attacked and the Babylonians captured choice people. They captured choice people, you guys, like Daniel. Do you guys remember Daniel, like Daniel in the lion's den? Y'all, he was captured. That's the reason why he, the whole situation of him getting in the lion's den is because the Babylonians captured Daniel. A long time ago, Daniel began to move up in, in, um, in the, uh, the, the, the scales of the charts in, in, in politics. Like he had so much favor. He was so wise that he was getting so high up that the Babylonians started getting jealous of Daniel. You guys, stuff jumped off and all of a sudden, Daniel, he finds himself in the, Daniel, in the lion's den. You guys know the story. Daniel was captured in this first wave at about 605 BC. And a couple of other outstanding teenagers were also captive at captive. We talking about uh, Anthony, Marco, and I mean, I'm just, I'm sorry. We talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You guys were captured at this same time. Captured by the Babylonians because why? They went after choice people. The reason why they went after choice people is because they they were like, not only do we want to destroy Jerusalem, we want to be sure they can never build again. The Babylonians were not just uh, after Jerusalem. They were also after their comeback. Y'all ain't even following me, but it's okay. The second wave happened about 597 B.C and the Babylonians took all of Jerusalem's treasures, and this is when the prophet Ezekiel was taken. So we're, we're, we're fighting ourselves here in Ezekiel 1 and 1, but around 597 BC is when Ezekiel was captured, okay? So they got Ezekiel, y'all. They got Daniel. They got she, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. They got everybody. They got all the good people. Like, all they left was the drunk uncle, and no lie. All they left was the drunk uncle, and guess what the king of the Babylonians did? he made him the king. You guys, this is cold-blooded. You guys got to read Ezekiel. You gotta, guys got to read second kings because it's so good. It's so good. It's so good. The Babylonians were so cold-blooded that they made the drunk uncle the new king of Jerusalem because they knew he would squander the opportunity. He knew, they knew that he wouldn't rebuild. He would just hoard things up for himself and get drunk and just be a loser. And he was. Okay, but here we are in Ezekiel one and one, they're in captivity, God doesn't even care, he's going to Ezekiel and he's telling all this stuff like, tell my people. He's like going to them, he's like, hey, hey, wake up, wake up the call, I know you're in captivity, you think you're supposed to just be laying around here as a slave, no, no, the call's still on you, tell my people. You guys, it was so bad that if you read in Ezekiel chapter two, the Lord actually chastised Ezekiel because he was slow about doing what the Lord told him to do, You know, you know why? Probably because he was like, I'm in chains. Like, I don't have time for this. I want to go home. And God actually came to Ezekiel and he chastised him. He says, listen, Ezekiel, when I tell you to tell the people something, I need you to tell them. I need you to be quick about it. God was very sharp. If you read all of Ezekiel, God is just having a field day. He's mad. I mean, big mad. He's big mad all the way from Ezekiel chapter one, all the way through Ezekiel chapter 35. So if you read the whole book of Ezekiel, you'll just see another side of God and it's big mad. The heavens were opened though, but the heavens were opened. And here we are in Ezekiel chapter one in the center of God's anger, in the center of God's judgment, in the center of God's fury, in the center of God's anger toward the people of Israel who have strayed away from God and made him so angry that he allowed this bondage to happen that we find them here in Ezekiel. So some of you guys don't realize that the things that they went through All of these bad stuff is because the Lord told them it was going to happen. And you know why the Lord told them they they was going to happen? Because he was angry with them and he was letting them know, I'm going to let this happen. Do you guys remember the prophet Jeremiah? You know why he was weeping all the time? Because he was trying to tell you, y'all, I'm sad. Y'all need to be sad. It's coming. God's fury is coming. coming. And people weren't listening to Jerusalem, I mean, to Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is saying, this is going to happen, y'all. And this is going to be bad. And you guys need to heed the voice of the Lord. And they're like, there goes Jeremiah again, crying all the time. And Jeremiah is like, y'all don't know. The Lord is about to release his anger upon us. And he's not going to protect us. And here we are in Ezekiel 1, and they're in the center of it. Starting from chapter 1 all the way through chapter 35, the Lord was letting the prophet Ezekiel have it as he described in great detail the sins of how unfaithful that the children of Israel have been, how much they've angered him, how much they defiled his temple. Their priestly duties were just completely squandered and his people were led astray and they began to worship idols and God was so angry. He even goes into great detail in one of the chapters in Ezekiel about how he led them through the wilderness and brought them to the promised land even though they were cutting up the whole time. He said, I still was faithful to my word and you entered into the promised land and you ate from the milk and the honey and the things that that flowed. You ate from that because I promised it to you. And he was angry. And he kept telling Ezekiel, tell them, tell them, tell them. He wanted the people to feel his anger. And just reading through the book of Ezekiel, I see it, you guys, I see it. In the midst and in the heart of God's fury and of his anger, I see us. I see our nature. That when we pray and we plead and we beg for something so hard, the Lord delivers it. And the moment we get it, maybe a week later, maybe five minutes later, we forget about him. I mean, we can go through Ezekiel and we can shake our head and we can, I can't believe the children of Israel will do that. Y'all did it. Y'all did it when the children of Israel came to the ocean and and, and Moses held up his staff and they crossed with dry land. And then maybe a month later, I don't know, they begin to complain again about why'd you even bring us all the way out here? At least in Egypt, we had garlic, which I do get though, because garlic is very important, especially as we go into this 21 days of fast. I feel like all of us are about to start smelling like garlic because it's like, I can't have meat, but I can have garlic. Okay. But what I'm trying to say is, reading all this, I see us. I see our nature, you guys. I see myself. I see how desperate I've been and how much I've cried out to God to save my baby heaven when she was dying. I see how desperate I was when I called out to God to save my marriage when my marriage was dying and he delivered every single time. And I cannot tell you that even as a pastor, how many times I've turned my back on God. How many times I've shifted in my seat, even though something told me you should pray. And I'm like, you know, Netflix got this new show coming on about best, the best man. And I kind of feel like I should just binge watch that. I can't tell you how many times I haven't showed up when the Lord has set a table and he can't wait for us to commune together. I can't tell you how many times I've stood him up for something stupid. So in the midst of Ezekiel, even though I'm reading from chapter one all the way through chapter five, and I'm seeing how angry he is and how how, how disappointed he is, you know what I really see? I see the hurt, a hurt parent. And you know how I know that? Because I've been a hurt parent. I've been disappointed. It's like, gosh, I've given everything. How much more could I have given? And they just squander our sacrifices. I'm sacrificing for these kids day in and day out. And they hold up their nose to what I have to offer them. I see an angry and a hurt parent. And the title of today's message is A New Heart for TBCF. Because when we get to Ezekiel chapter 36... Verses 26 through 27, the Lord says this, and I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and you will keep my judgment and do them. What we just read, that is the spiritual transformation promised to us through our covenant with Jesus Christ. We saw that in Ezekiel chapter one, Ezekiel was 30. Jesus was 30. Priestly duty started at 30. There is a correlation. There is symbolism in the fact that the Lord is saying, I'm going to give you a new heart. And that new heart that I'm giving you is going to be through Jesus Christ. First Peter 1:17 through 21. And the message says this, you call out to God for help and he helps you. He's a good father that way. But don't forget, he's also a responsible father and won't, you get, won't let you get by with sloppy living. Your life is a journey you must travel with a deep consciousness of God. It costs God plenty to get you out of the dead-in, empty-headed life you grew up in. He paid with Christ's sacred blood, you know. He died like an unblemished, sacrificial lamb and this was no afterthought. Even though it was only lately at the end of the ages become public knowledge, God always knew he was going to do this for you. He always knew he was going to do this for you. It's because of this sacrificed Messiah, whom God then raised from the dead and glorified that you trust God and that you know you have a future in God. Through Jesus, we are able to go from the temporary crutch of the law as what we've seen the the children of Israel stumble and fall in. We are able to go through the temporary crutch of the law to a whole heart transplant, y'all, by the best surgeon we could ever hope for. Do you know the law was the outward medicine to try to keep us alive until we got the new heart? (laughs) The law was the temporary medicine, which had its side effects. It's kind of messy doing the whole sacrifice thing with all the blood. It was kind of expensive because then you got to get a, a dove, not a pigeon. And then it's like, well, all I got is a rat, but I can't do the rat. So, I mean, it had its side effects, just like every other medication, right? It's cumbersome. When really the law is what, the, what you got, the outward help, but what you really needed was the inward help. I want to tell you about something that happened on May 22nd, and it was two days before my husband's heart transplant. I have a picture, picture one. Things got so bad that the nurse instructed Pastor John's mom and I to try to keep him awake. She literally looked at us and she said, don't let him fall asleep. Because what was happening is every time he fell asleep, he fell into a deep sleep and he stopped breathing. And they had a hard time bringing him back. He'd been falling into these deep sleeps. He wouldn't breathe. His blood pressure would shoot down. And so what they would do is they were trying to buy themselves time. And so these teams of people, I think it's video one and video two or picture one, picture two, whatever. These teams of people, make sure there's no sound, please. These teams of people, because the doctors were teaming up with the pharmacists. Because the pharmacists were the specialists in the medicine, and the doctors were the specialists in the body. And so they were working as a team, and their their conversations was, how can we just keep him alive long enough until he gets the inward cure? What can we do? What new medicines can we introduce? Well, we got to figure out because he's taking this medicine and I don't know if this medicine can go with this medicine. And so it was a constant reconfiguration of medicine after medicine, plan after plan. And in the midst of it all, his heart was failing. They were doing everything that they possibly could. With the medicines, with the outward cure that they had, with the little bit of capabilities that they had, They were doing everything that they could. They were bringing in every specialist, every smart person. And trust me, I know, they were smart. You guys, they were smart because I was checking them. I was going to the hotel, doing my research, and I was checking them. I'm like, okay, wait, did you say the GFR? Okay, because I'm just saying that's not the same as the creatinine. Okay, just it's not the same. I was checking them, and they were on it. Smart, sharp. every time, getting, we were getting introduced to new doctors, new pharmacists, but they were strategizing and doing their best to hold him off long enough to keep him alive long enough to get a new heart. But the medications weren't enough. And it wasn't going to hold him long enough. And it wasn't until I saw a desperation come over my husband and he begins yelling out in the room, where's my startled me at first, because I'm like, because we'd been looking at the door, hoping that they were coming in to tell us we got a heart, but they were coming in to say, we want to try this other experimental drug, which we feel would keep the heart a little bit more calm, to try to keep it, you know, strong enough and long enough, and finally, he was just like, where's my heart? And he was yelling it out, and he was so desperate, and there was something in me that wanted to say, stop yelling. They're doing everything they can. But who am I to contend with his desperation? Who am I to contend with what he was going through? The visions he was seeing as he went into these deep things, God, you guys, he knew he was teetering on the brink of life and death and sometimes he didn't know if he was dead or if he was alive am i really in the room or am i in the third heavens like he was like confused because it was like he was in and he was out and he was in and he was out and when he was in he would scream out where's my heart he was slipping you guys he was slipping and despite the best care at Stanford, the smartest pharmacists, the cutting-edge doctors, I saw it in their eyes and in their body language. They try their best to reassure us. We, we really, a heart is on the way. Uh, we believe you'll have a heart. You'll, I'm sure you'll have a new heart, Mr. Butcher, by tomorrow. Just try to calm down. Just try to calm down. Just try to calm down. And every time they come in and promise him and try to reassure him that his heart's on the way, I had a hard time with that. Because who were they to promise him that? Who were they to promise him a new heart? And who was I to ask for it? Because I knew that that meant someone had to die. In order to extend his life, someone had to give up theirs. And here they were promising me something that they're not in control of. Who are you to promise me a new heart for my husband? When you didn't, you're not the maker of the heart. You're not the giver of life. Who are you to promise it? And who am I to sit here and beg you and ask you for it? So there I was in my conflict. And he's, in the meantime, he's slipping away. And to make a long story short, despite me and Mr., Mrs. Butcher's great and strong efforts that day, Pastor John ended up going off to sleep. And just like the staff thought, they couldn't wake him up. And he stopped breathing and his blood pressure shot down. And I was trying not to panic because when I panic, I feel like I can't, I, can't hold a, I can't hold a straight thought. So I didn't. I tried to stay really strong and firm and alert. And I was watching his eyes and I was trying to keep Mrs. Butcher Tom. I don't know if she really knew what was happening. And so I was trying to kind of shoo her away a little bit and tell the doctors, like, calm down, you guys. Like, change your tone a little bit. Like, let's stay focused. And I don't know if it was 30 seconds or a minute, I'm not sure how long it was, but it actually wasn't that long, but the nurses went into a full panic. (coughs) They went into a full panic because they couldn't wake him up. And then finally, when he came to, he said to me, do you hear the music? Did you hear the song? Do you hear the music? Did you hear the song? And I'm like, no, babe, there's, there's no music here. There's, there's no song. He said, oh, yeah, there was a song. And he says, while he was out, he heard, oh, oh, you can have my heart. You can have my heart. He says, I heard it. He said, and the angels were singing it to me. They were proclaiming what the Lord felt and what the Lord wanted to say, and they sang it. So here we are in a full panic because we can't wake him up and his blood pressure is plummeting and he comes back and he announces, the Lord says, I can have his heart. And what I saw in the natural was even though we were around all these smart people that sometimes despite our greatest efforts, we still fall short. Despite our greatest and strongest New Year's resolution and goal of what we're gonna do, we still fall short. Because there's some things that are so out of our control that I don't care how long it took you to plan that plan out. I don't care how many times you've wrote down the steps that you're gonna be able to conquer that and be able to reach that goal. And the end of the day, we are not in control of anything. And I was watching this happen in the natural. I was watching this happen to my husband in the natural right in front of me. John needed a miracle. But just like the law, with all its remedies of this, the forbidden food, and then you got to sacrifice on this day, and then you got to do this at this time, and only this person can go in and carry your sacrifice in. It was just so cumbersome. I saw the doctors with their cumbersome solutions and their cumbersome ideas and it was so cumbersome and I remember getting online to everybody saying listen I'm gonna leave them doctors and them nurses to their cumbersome law of what they think they needed to do next and what medicine needs to be introduced next right now I'm gonna leave these doctors I'm gonna leave these nurses in the room I'm gonna get online I'm gonna get with some people of faith and we're gonna pray heaven down because he's the one that holds life he's the one that can promise us a heart so I remember getting online. I said, listen, you guys, this is what we're going to do. We're going to pray that Pastor John gets a heart today. I want you to say that in your language. Lord, bring Pastor John a heart today. And so we did. We began to stand in faith. We linked arms and we prayed today, Lord, today, today. In Ezekiel chapter 1 through 36, God went to great detail about how disappointed he was and how they... They fell short and the prophet Jeremiah tried to tell them. God tried to tell them, and Daniel got captured, Ezekiel got captured, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's a whole big old mess, all because people wouldn't listen, that the outer solutions just wasn't working. Do You know, just knowing the word alone isn't enough. We read through 2 Kings that Jeremiah knew the word. You guys, he was a man of God. But yet that still didn't save the people from their destruction. It still didn't save the people from captivity. Why? Because we can know the word, but that doesn't mean that it's going to change us enough to do it. We need the heart transplant. These were people that knew the word of God, even from an infant. They made songs about it. You would go up to a little Hebrew boy and they could recite the Torah to you because it was ingrained in them as children. They knew it. But yet and still, if you read all through Second Kings, you would see it over and over and over again. And the people did evil in God's sight. And we're talking about people that knew the word from infancy. But they, the people did evil in God's sight. And I'm not going to shake my head at them. I'm shaking my head at me because it's a picture of us. Even though we sit in, in, in service and we read our word and we feel so good about the devotions that we're doing every morning and all the things that we're checking off, all the things we're checking off on our list of how we're going to reach our goal this year, we still fall short. Maybe the people of Israel was just like us. Every new year, they announced a new New Year's resolution and declaring new goals of what they were going to do. But yet and still, the next year, they're still trying to lose the same 30 pounds, And so here in chapter 36 of Ezekiel, we find a completely different tone that God hasn't had the entire book. Here in Ezekiel 36 verse 22, it says this, therefore give the people of Israel this message from the sovereign Lord. I am bringing you back, but not because you deserve it, I'm doing it to protect my holy name in which you brought shame while you were scattered among the nations. Do you know that the Lord still saw fit to bring them back? God says, I'm bringing you back. And it's interesting because I remember when Pastor John, and this was in my notes, but I skipped it. When Pastor John went into that deep sleep, the nurse ran to the hall. She says, I need, I need a, um, I can't remember who she called. I need a son. We got to bring him back. We got to bring them back. We got to bring them back. And here in verse 36, I mean, chapter 36, verse 22, I see the Lord saying, I'm bringing you back. Not that you deserve it, Pastor John, or even earned it. But because I can't go against myself. I'm bringing you back because I put a call and a promise on your life that even when you mess up, my promise and my call is still true and I can't go against myself. I'm bringing you back. So the message here today is to just stop adding up all your shortcomings. Stop adding up all your mess ups. Stop bringing up new goals and new resolutions of things you want to do to extend your life, to make you more holy. Holy. You need the heart transplant. The solution is in Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27. I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. And I will take out the stony one, the stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. The cure was not another New Year's resolution. The cure was not another goal to meet. The cure was not just to try harder to be a good person, to just try real hard to be holy. That wasn't the cure. The cure was to receive the heart transplant. And that's the cure for us today. We need a new heart. Because this old heart has old habits that it makes us fall into time after time after time. It doesn't matter what we declare. It doesn't matter what goal we set. It doesn't matter what resolution we decided. The old heart is pulling us back into old things, old thinking, old ways around old company. We need the heart transplant. If we're going to be who God called us to be, we've got to take the new heart. It's not about reading the whole Bible because if I read the whole Bible, oh, well, then I'll be holy. No, you got to have the new heart. Psalms 51, 7-11, it says this, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Create in me a clean heart. Not Lord, show me how to have a new heart. No, create in me. We're asking the creator to create a new heart in us. The only way we're going to get it, the only way we're going to make it is if he creates in us a clean heart. And I can't promise that to you. I can't promise you a new heart the same way those doctors and those nurses couldn't promise a new heart to pastor John. It's not yours to give. It's not yours to promise. The Lord's got to do it. So, Lord, create in me. Do you know when we're asking the Lord to create in me, we're taking the work out of our hands and we're putting it in his. We're literally leaning back and we're saying, God, go ahead and create in me. I'll watch you as you mold it. I'll watch you as you sculpt it. I'll watch you, watch you, as, you as you put it together and you pin it together. I'll watch you as you do it. And then, Lord, place it in me. God's not asking us to do anything. He's asking us to receive the new heart. In my closing, Charles Spurgeon, he said this, he said, true religion begins with the heart and the heart is the ruling power of mankind. You may enlighten a man's understanding and you have done much, but as long as his heart is wrong, the enlightenment of his understanding only enables him to sin with a greater weight of responsibility resting upon him which you know what that means? That means knowing better only enables us to sin with more guilt. What? Oh my God. That means knowing better only enables us to sin with more guilt. You want to know why you're riddled with shame and guilt? Because you need the new heart. Yeah. Because knowing better isn't always about making you do better. We need the new heart. We need God to create it in us. We need God to take the old not add a new one to the old one no take out the old and give me a new heart we need that heart transplant I remember John yelling out where's my heart where's my heart and I think some of us we need that same desperation today some of us need that same desperation because some of us need to get tired of messing up all the time Falling back into the same habits and you're saying, why can't I seem to muster up the desire to pray? Why don't I long to read my word? Because you're trying to add new habits to your old heart. We need the heart transplant. And that's why the declaration is a new heart for TBCF this year. We want to take hold with a new heart, a new grip, new eyes, new mind, new heart, new resolution and new resolve that the things that God has called me to do I can do it because the Lord is working in me and moving in me for his good pleasure the new heart to do God's will and obey him is not something I can provide to you as a pastor it only comes from the Lord Ezekiel 36 and 26 I just want to read it again I want you to insert your name here and I will give you blank a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. Say your name. And I will take out your stony, that stubborn, stubborn, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And you, then you know what? I'm going to put my spirit in you. My Holy Spirit. You know that Holy Spirit that leads you to all truths and righteousness. You know that spirit that discerns and says, that's me. Uh Uh-uh, that's not me. I'm going to put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. I want you to see today that this is less to do about you as a person. You're not a bad person. You're not broken. You just need the heart transplant. And sometimes we got to get desperate enough to cry out to the Father. Where's my heart? Where's my new heart, Lord? Because I'm done touching dead things. I'm done touching things that bring calamity and disaster into my home. God, I want the new heart. I want the new heart to pray, to seek you more, to know you more, to wanna do your will, to wanna be around your people, to serve you, to evangelize. I want your heart so that I can do your things. Philippians 2 and 13 says this in the Amplified. It says, for it is not your strength, but it is God who is effectively at work in you, both to will and to work that is strengthening, energizing, and in creating in you the longing and the ability to fulfill your purpose for his good pleasure. The heart that God gives is so strong and so vibrant. It gives us power to live holy. Amen. I remember people calling me and texting me, and they were saying, "Pastor Kaya, I pr- I'm praying specifically that Pastor John gets a strong heart, that Pastor John gets a good heart, that Pastor John gets a vibrant heart." And I know that that's something only the Lord can give. And it says right here in Philippians, the heart that the God gives you is so strong, is so vibrant. And it gives us power to live holy. On Tuesday, you guys, we start our 21 days of fasting. And I think this is a great time for us to take a new grip with our new heart and to do things in a new way. God's way. Not according to our plans. Because the Bible says that we make many plans, but it's God who establishes our plans. Amen. But this year, no. I'm not setting no plans. Because I'm asking for a new heart. And God, whatever you want to do in my strong, vibrant heart, God, that's what I want. So I want to challenge you today. Over the next 21 days, every Tuesday, because our 21 days of fasting starts on Tuesday, y'all. Every Tuesday, 6 o'clock p.m., let's meet here and let's pray. You know what I like to call prayer? I like to call prayer, prayer gym. You know why? Because it's where you work everything out. You know? It's like, I don't know if anybody's in here that's nervous to pray in front of people. Well, prayer gym is all about that. Watch. On January 1st, you guys go to the gym. There's going to be people in there. They don't know what they're doing. We see the videos all the time. They be on those machines. And they be just doing stuff wrong. And they just be like, I'm working out. I'm working out. I'm working out. And all the people that's in the gym all the time is not me. But you know who y'all are. You guys be looking like, they just taking up space on the equipment. But they working it out. They working it out. Working it out. And then you know what? A couple months from now, then they, all of a sudden, now they start, yeah. they on the machine the right way. And then you walk by, you're like, oh, homeboy done learned how to use the press machine. Well, you know why? It's because homeboy kept coming. And he was working it out, you know? But nobody, it's like, leave Clifford alone. Let him, let Clifford... Clifford working some stuff out. Let him. Clifford's going to figure it out. And and Clifford does. He does. And you know how he does that? He keeps coming. Clifford knew he didn't know how to use the equipment when he walked into the gym doors. He knew it. But he's like, I'm going to get on this machine. And he did. Well, that's you with prayer at 6 p.m. You walk in the door and you're like, I don't know how to pray in front of people. But I'm going to work it out. Jesus Thank you for the flowers, Lord. And Lord, I just want to thank you for the wind that's blowing. Because, God, we need, we need that wind. And I thank you, Father, for the lion that's in Narnia and Lord of the Rings. God, I thank you for that, too. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to be like, you better pray, Clifford. You better, woo, you better pray. Pray. Because every time you come, there's a refinement that's happening. There's a sharpening of the tool because you're getting around me and I'm getting around you. And then all of a sudden Clifford's like, Heavenly Father, I declare your will be done in this place. And when Clifford is set loose and his confidence is set loose on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. at prayer, he walks out that door. He says, who needs prayer? Because Clifford's not Clifford's been practicing around us and we've been letting him work it out. But when Clifford gets strong, is anybody named Clifford here today? Okay. When Clifford gets strong, Clifford's faith graduates, you guys. And that's what it's all about. So I'm telling you this right now. Nobody's here grading your prayers. Nobody's going to say, oh, she said faith when she should have said sanctification. No one's doing that. And not only that, but I need you to realize something. We all pray in our different way. The same way I talk, I don't talk the same as you. Honestly, I don't like to listen to myself talk, so I will not replay this message. But we all talk differently. So shouldn't our prayers all sound different? Well, you better get some confidence about it, Clifford. Get on that machine. Get stronger every time you come. You get a little bit more confident. Then all of a sudden, Pastor Raquel says, Clifford, can you pray for the youth? And you says, yeah, I'm going to pray for the youth. I'm gonna declare that God's glory and His will be done in their lives. I'm gonna pray that their heart turns from the world and turns toward Jesus. I'm praying that their mind, have, that they have the mind of Christ. I'm praying that their lives be a testament. I'm praying that they be a seed sown into the earth, that revival may come forth, and all of a sudden you surprise yourself. But it's because you kept coming and you're taking hold of your new heart. Do you know some stuff happened when Pastor John got his new heart? We were all excited on May 25th because we're like, Woo, you got a new heart, you all. And all of a sudden, something starts happening. Doctors were like, We don't don't know what's wrong, but something's wrong. We think maybe something's wrong with the heart. Like, but why? It's a new heart. It's a new heart. But there were some things that had to be adjusted. The heart is strong, the heart is vibrant. But there were some things that had to be worked out and that's you today as you take hold of your new heart work some things out the bible says walk out your own salvation which means sometimes you're gonna start off like that little baby lamb or that little baby deer and your knees are gonna be wobbly and you're gonna like i got a new heart i'm a i'm a christian now i don't understand why i can't run like pastor raquel why can't i do this like pastor john but it's okay because as you continue to run your legs get stronger But you have to realize, whatever you show up for is going to bring you strength. Whatever you show up for is going to bring you strength. Show up in the house of God. Let God give you strength. Don't keep going to the world asking the world to feel you, to affirm you, to make you confident in who you are. No, go to the Lord, to the strengthening place. The one who created in you a clean heart. And renewed in you the right spirit this year y'all we're taking hold of our new heart with new hands new mind new levels of expectations new year resolution I ain't got time for a new year's resolution because I got a new heart new plans new guide and a new God that's gonna do a new thing in me and it's gonna not just affect me but it's gonna affect you amen anybody ready to take hold of their new heart today stand to your feet let's declare it Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you're doing in this place. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, I pray and I declare that what's happening, what's getting ready to happen in our lives is undescribable. Father, I pray that you're leading us to places we don't even recognize. God, I thank you, Lord God, that you are our good shepherd and the places that you're leading us, oh God, we can only go with you. So Father, I pray with every hand raised and every heart ablaze that you bring us forth a new heart today. God, we want a new heart. We want a new mind. We want a new resolve. We want a new grip on your word. We want to, th- I thank you, Lord God, that where you're taking us, oh God, nothing can shake us from it. I thank you, Lord God, the places you're taking us to, no one can turn us around I thank you oh God the confidence that you're giving us no one can take it away thank you Jesus for what you're bringing forth in your church today a new heart for TBCF a strong and vibrant heart give us a heart to pray give us a heart to fast give us a heart to sacrifice god i pray god with our new heart you're giving us a new spirit that we'll be able to discern your word discern what you're speaking discern what you're saying to your church oh god and our resolve and our answer is yes and amen god i pray right now god as we let go of the old heart give us the strength give us the strength today yeah give us a new strength to let go of the old heart Yeah. Help us in our struggle of letting go of the old heart. Cuz we've had it for so long. We've gotten used to the struggle. We've gotten used to falling on our face. We've gotten used to telling and convincing ourselves that, "Yep, you messed up again, but that's what you always do." God, help us in our struggle to let go of the old heart. Help us release our grip on the old so that we can fully take hold of the in Jesus name Amen Hallelujah Hallelujah If you're in agreement with that today I need you to lift your hands I need you to lift your hands That's all the time we have for this episode of the Annex Podcast but we encourage you to get connected with us by downloading and using our TBCF app today or you can visit our website at tbcf.life That's tbcf.life Until next time Thanks for stopping by to the Annex Podcast.